Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. Today, we do not have internet, but we're with you audio, and we will bring you a message. Daniel, good to see you here today. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you? I'm doing fine, and uh, we want to talk about uh, the prolongation of the war. You'd think that um, this uh, talk now, there's, there's people writing about it being deliberate, and most of the time, it's just ineptness, and in both occurs. Just think of, they never had to say, well, you know, when we were going in Iraq, uh, we're going to have it 19 years, and, uh, and counting. And then, in well, in Afghanistan, 20 years sounds like a pretty good idea. We'll just keep it going. But we were able to suggest that when you go to war under these conditions, the wars aren't declared, the enemies are not clear uh, to anybody, uh, the real reason why they're at war is never spoken out loud, and uh, so it's not, it doesn't take a giant, uh, intellectual giant to say, you know, this is prolongation, there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering, it's going to be long-lasting, and neither side's going to be happy about it, and uh, problems will linger. And uh, who I always assumed that would happen with what we were doing in the Middle East. But I was, uh, quite frankly, a little surprised. They went 20 years and, and we're still with air. You know, when they say we leave, we don't really leave. We stay there. And that's a reflection of empire building and maintaining empires, maintaining the uh, military industrial complex. So you can expect this to happen. So we shouldn't be really surprised. But I do have some uh, some questions about, you know, I want to know why, why, why. And there's still, I don't think all the whys uh, are answered, but there's a few in here that gives us a hint exactly, exactly what's going on. On, but uh, when you try to figure out Zelensky and explain exactly what he's doing one day versus the next, but couldn't we say the same thing about Biden? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, what's Biden's policy? <laughs> you know, we can't figure that out either. But uh, we'll do our very best to try to bring people up to date about the status of this war because I don't think this war is going to go away easily or gracefully, and it'll probably expand if we don't change our policies. Yeah, that's the big if. It could go away easily, not gracefully because it's too late for that, but the war could be over very quickly if it weren't. And, you know, we're referring, the backbone of our discussion today is really a piece that Ted Carpenter did for antiwar.com called, Is the Biden Administration Trying to Prolong the Ukraine War? And as always, it's an excellent piece by Ted. Uh, Ted and Antiwar deserve support for it. But Ted brings some important points that are not brought in the mainstream media. The mainstream media is obsessed with showing horror stories, with putting blame, with making it all about Putin and Biden, what have you. What Ted is talking about is the human suffering that's going on, and he's wondering why is the U.S. doing very little to stop the human suffering. In fact, what the U.S. doing is prolonging and expanding the suffering. Uh, and he points out that the real goal appears to be bleeding Russian forces and inflicting a defeat on its great power adversary, regardless of the cost to Ukraine. Uh, and that's why Ted says that's why they're pouring in weapons, stingers, javelins, suicide drones, which prolong the conflict, they're tactical weapons, they don't change the strategic situation on the battlefield, but they prolong the suffering. And as we mentioned yesterday, Dr. Paul, they're awfully good for the military industri industrial complex. Uh, Slovakia sends a few old Soviet tanks, or a few old Soviet uh, 
anti-air missiles over in the U.S., buy some nice Patriot missiles to replace them. But all this does at the end of the day is prolong the war, which Ted very wisely, I think, points out could have been a very, very quick war that was over that was over very quickly uh, with a uh, with a peace deal that would have lasted. But that doesn't seem to be what they want. You know, it is said that uh, when two countries go to war, both sides make a mistake by not interpreting the enemy correctly. They they say, oh, yeah, if we do A, they're going to do B, and it's going to be over in six months. Some of them believe it, and sometimes it's just propaganda. But I think this concept of bleeding Russia uh, is doomed to fail, except maybe for a couple special interests. But even that is just temporary. Eventually, everybody gets caught up, and, and they will get punished for it. But uh, <clears throat> this idea of, of bleeding Russia... Uh, I think it is is very risky because the way I see it, Daniel, is the bleeding comes the basic to American people, the American taxpayer, the American soldiers, so unnecessarily. We haven't been attacked. We weren't attacked in this century. And yet think of how many people we were involved in in killing and how many coups we've been involved in. And uh, we, were, we were always doing, going on to protecting our constitution, protecting our national security, bringing about peace to the world, being humanitarians. And, uh, and, and the, thank goodness that people are starting to wake up just like they have with COVID. And they're not as, not as blindly led to trust everything the government tells us because uh, it's it, it's uh, realized eventually that uh, they're not being they're not leveling with us, but you know in in the sixties uh, they played this game too, and uh, the one thing is they play on the patriotism. It was amazing to me after I went to Washington in the seventies there were still people there that if you were in a quiet conversation uh, they would say you know what. We should have, if they were challenging me on my foreign policy, they say, we should, we should have cleaned up that mess in Vietnam. We should, should have been there and complained about it. So there's, there's this macho attitude, too, that keeps it going. But there's a lot of reasons why we're there. I can't think of any really good reason why we're there. The one point that, that, that Ted makes in the piece is that the U.S. really is showing no support for di- diplomacy. They're not, they have not said a single encouraging word to Zelensky to sit down, to encourage him to sit down. They've done nothing to help to facilitate diplomacy. And as Ted says, on the contrary, Biden is directly combative toward Russia in this whole thing, which is making diplomacy more difficult, regardless of what you think about it. Uh, first of all, he makes the gaffe, supposedly a gaffe, that Putin can't remain in power. And then he says there needs to be a war crimes trial for Putin for what's happened in Ukraine. All of these things, whatever you think about how true they are, they make diplomacy very difficult in a critical time where lives could be saved. Ted also makes the point that it's a little hypocritical uh, for Biden to call for war crimes trial uh, for Putin over Ukraine when you look back on things like Yugoslavia, Libya, Syria, Iraq, which were all invasions of countries that had neither attacked us nor threatened us. So... The, uh, and also the only way for Putin to stand trial would be if he's overthrown. So there's another implicit call for the overthrow of the Russian government. That seems to be the goal here. And it seems to be, as you wrote, uh, Dr. Paul, a few weeks ago, that the U.S. wants to fight Russia down to the last Ukrainian. <laughs> right. 
the uh, <clears throat> Zelensky is still is a bit of a mystery unless you look between the lines. Because now, with all this mess over there, he's suggesting that uh, he, he's no longer willing to renounce his country's ambition to join NATO. Well, isn't that good? You know, that's where the problems came from. He was being forced to say that and join NATO, and that he should accept a neutral status with uh, multiple guarantees. Well, that's nonsense. You know he's not going to do it. You know he's not serious. And... Uh, it, and it, it it just won't happen, but uh, it's it seems like the message, at least <clears throat> from maybe our government and Zelensky, even though the bottom line usually deals with weapons, for Zelensky to say he wants independence and he he wants uh, to uh, have uh, uh, you, you know an independent-minded foreign policy. Uh, he's really beholding, begging and pleading on his knees, send me more weapons, send me more weapons, still with a refusal of saying, you know, the, the greatest sin he could commit, according to him, would ever be to recognize the history of Crimea. Yeah. But that, that's, that's one thing, you know, that's it. That's probably the most, most likely thing that people would look to for uh, thinking about Maybe there should be a, a, a new balance on that. Maybe there sh should be self-determination. There could be a case made for that. But that's the one he's, he's the strongest opposed to or makes the, no, the most noise about. Well, what, ironically, you know, as, as we talk about an independent Ukraine, that was the deal that Yanukovych was about to sign with Putin when he was overthrown in 2014. Contrary to what revisionist history would say, the, the agreement he was going to sign with Russia was not an exclusive agreement. It was not, you are going into our camp and you will be part of us. It was an independent Ukraine signing an aid package with Russia and an investment package with Russia. And Putin was explicit at the time saying, you can have your deals with the EU as well. That's what they had on the table. Uh, and that's what they may eventually get now four, uh, eight years later in, in so many thousands of lives. But you talk about Zelensky. Um, He's a person in a very bad position right now. First of all, his more extreme uh, Nazi forces in Ukraine, the Azovs and other, they hate his guts. They want him dead. Uh, the, the rank and file military to a degree also hates his guts because, and we've seen some messages coming out of Ukraine, they feel that they've been left high and dry in places like Mariupol and increasingly in Donbass, where they don't have any backup and they're going down. The Americans don't care either way. They, they couldn't care less about Skelensky, despite the fact that he's portrayed as being a hero on TV. That's a PR stunt. Ironically, the only person who really wants Zelensky alive is Putin because he needs someone to sign a peace deal with. So it's a very odd situation where the two of these people need each other the most and everyone's doing their best to keep them apart and keep them from making a deal. You know, even even Obama is chiming in because they need uh, they're not doing so well and Obama's saintly uh, more looking at like more like a saint. So they brought him in to do some talking and uh, he he might introduce the notion that maybe he will be the dip uh, diplomat that will pull this together. So he did a great job with Syria. You know, as, you know. I think it was Assad has to go yeah. business. Now it's Putin has to go. Yeah. <laughs> so they continue, but uh, you know that's that's more talk. But uh, we know 
that the sincerity of self-determination and true diplomacy uh, doesn't exist. They're They're ready to sacrifice a lot. And I do believe that sometimes they believe even though they're willing to uh, allow so much tragedy, they're, they're willing to convince themselves that, uh, you, you know, it's not going to be that bad. We, we can handle this. And then at the same time, here we're presenting the case that maybe they really don't care and maybe it, the strategy is to continue it and to uh, build this division. We see that happening in economic policy. We see East against the West in the central banking competition. And, and, and we see that domestically here in this country, how uh, Marxism is raising its ugly head. And uh, I think this is this is the same thing. Who the the the, uh, the enemies are lining up. This is uh, like they're lining up for the major battle. And economically, I see this lining up. Who will come down on the side of having the most to say about the uh, uh, the world central bank? And and uh, in this case, it's the lining up here, east versus west. And he said, "Oh, oh yeah, you know, it's no, it's uh, Putin against." All Ukrainians. Well, maybe it's uh, maybe it's uh, Russia against the uh, the coups committed by NATO. But but you know you don't hardly ever see any criticism except in by our, some of our friends that yeah. maybe uh, 2014 was a significant year which precipitated this and stirred this up and really brought it to the forefront because people were not dying before the 14th until we until they had an installed government uh, you know by NATO and uh, and it violated all the so-called promises made, you know, to to, uh, to Russia, then no, we're backing off. Uh, and yet even today we read stories, more NATO troops coming to closer to the border as doing exactly the opposite if they had a drop of interest in a little bit of diplomacy. Well, you know, we asked the question, why is the U.S. seeming to prolong the war? And I think, interestingly enough, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor to President Biden, provides an answer in very clear language. And this is uh, via antiwar.com. This is uh, Sullivan on Meet the Press on Sunday. This is a very interesting and very important statement. He says, we need to keep giving them, Ukraine that is, support, military support and strong economic sanctions to improve their position, their posture at the negotiating table. But at the end of the day, what we want to see is a free and independent Ukraine, a weakened and isolated Russia, and a stronger, more unified and determined West. That is an admittance that the real goal, the real reason to prolong this war with these tactical weapons that won't change the realities on the battlefield is to to advance a weakened and isolated Russia. This is a U.S. war against Russia. Jake Sullivan openly admitted it. Uh, on the weekend talk shows. And um, the president uh, is stirring the pot continuously. Uh, He really says he's involved in gathering more evidence of the war crimes. Well, war crimes, you know, had to be contended with. And uh, there was a lot of controversy of dealing with the war crimes of some very, very bad Nazis, you know, and and not uh, just... uh, you know, getting him in a crowd and shooting him. But the, 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 he wants a war crimes trial. 
And I got to think, you know, because civilians are being killed. That would be his main argument. Look at all the bombs. And some of that did occur. But my argument is, if you're going to have a war trials, I think the defense should put up the number we'll do this century. How much? How many uh, criminal war charges would be legitimate during the last 22 years of uh, military operations by the various countries? How many civilians have been killed? And uh, I don't think the American people would want to see those statistics because uh, as bad as it is over over there right now in Ukraine, uh, when you look at uh, what happened in Iraq, and if you look at what's happened in, in Afghanistan and elsewhere, I mean, we, we have to take some responsibility for what's going on in Yemen. You know, uh, they were our bombs and, and our money. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's that basic principle of understanding people working for diplomacy and working always toward peace versus, uh, you know, stirring the pot to make sure that there is violence and, uh, and, and who's going to be in charge of the, the next empire. Well, I'll just close by Dr. Paul by uh, giving a little update on our conference. June 4th in Houston, go to ronpaulinstitute.org on the upper right-hand side. You'll see all the information. I was surprised, Dr. Paul. You know, you're never sure when you put something on, is it going to be, is there going to be any interest? If you build it, will they come? Well, I'm happy to say that just in just 24 hours of ticket sales, we've sold over one-third of the entire available wow. amount of tickets. Mm-hmm. And we've got about one-half of the entire available uh, host committee sponsorships that have been taken up. So there's a, a big interest in this conference. I really urge everyone to get your tickets while you can uh, because they'll, I hope, I'm hope i pretty sure they'll sell out. They always have in the past. Uh, the Biden Doctrine, um, New World Order, or Nuclear Armageddon. It's going to be a hot conference, so check it out. And thanks for listening. Very good. And I, of course, want to endorse that and endorse the conference. But I do want to make a point that I do have rules about conferences. And uh, my rule is that uh, though we will be talking about very serious matters, just as we have today, you know, war and uh, destruction of property and uh, destruction of so much and, and lie, so much lie and everything going on. We spend all this time on on exposing that. But the conference, the one thing I notice, and if you make an effort to it, the conferences should be designed to study and read about the serious stuff, anticipate what could happen, describe what can be done in a positive way, and find, uh, uh, you, you know, friendship with other people who are like-minded and agree with it. And generally, you don't have to direct people to do that. When we have these conferences and the conferences I've attended over the years, when you're with a group of people who are like-minded, it's not like the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. You know, there's there's a little bit more friendship there, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, it helps makes all this bearing if you know possible we can bear with this there, there are times though that i get tested sort of like listening to the nonsense that was just recently went on with uh, the war against covid <laughs> you know because the overwhelming evidence uh, on the side of the the bureaucrats that wanted to lock down and that's still alive philadelphia they're going to expose and lock the everybody in their houses again so uh, yeah we have that but we still can get together and I hope to see a lot of you there at our conference. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.